0: I crash into a concrete barrier in the middle of the parking lot. So here I'm trying to sell this car, <laughs> and this dude's sitting there without a seatbelt on. So when I hit the concrete barrier, his face just hit the windshield, and I'm looking like, damn, holy I don't think he's—I don't think he's going to buy this car now. <laughs> now listening to the Your First Steps Podcast. It's great to talk about million-dollar dreams, but where do we start? How do we get there? Listen up up. as you hear directly from real estate industry leaders on how they reached success in their fields. And most importantly, what were their first steps? Let's get this party started. Here's your host, Eli the Real Estate Guy.
1: Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Eli, the real estate guy. and Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of our podcast, the Your First Steps podcast. And today, we're speaking with a a military vet, a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and just overall a great guy. I'm super excited to present to you guys Derek. Surat, Derek, how you doing today, man?
0: Hey, how you doing, Eli? How you guys doing? All right, awesome, awesome, man. So
1: uh, first, I wanted to let you guys know, uh, well, First, for the people that don't know who Derek is, and uh, for the people that's uh, in our audience, uh, let us know a little bit about yourself, some of the things that you've done, uh, and just kind of introduce yourself to the people out
0: here. Okay, uh, Palm Bluff, Arkansas. Graduated high school in 2000, 2000. Nice. Uh, graduated high school, went to the Army two days after graduation. Uh, did about five and a half active, two. In the guard, and I was an eighty-eight Mike, a truck driver in army. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool. My first assignment was Korea, and then from there I went to Fort Hood, good old clean Texas. And we deployed to Iraq. It was cool. It was cool. You know, Iraq is Iraq. War is war. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <All right. laughs> war is war. I did a lot of convoy, convoy security and things like that. And uh, when I got back. From Iraq, I was placed on orders for recruiting. And then they placed my wife on orders for a whole other assignment. So the military was kind of separating us. Mm. And I was, I, that was my honeymoon. I got married two days before we went to Iraq. Oh, wow. So I had six months. <laughs> so left Iraq was the your army.
1: honeymoon. <laughs> Iraq was my honeymoon, <laughs> man. And
0: we, we deployed, got married, we deployed. Right. And uh we got back, man. I had six months left. And I had to make a decision whether to get out or stay in. If I would have stayed in, my wife and I would have separated. So I got out. I I, I went ahead and got out, drove to Colorado with my wife. And uh, I started out as a used car sale before, Phil long (sighs) Ford. That's a brutal industry, man. I didn't last long. I lasted probably a good month. I was uh, (laughs) like... I was showing this gentleman how to test drive a Mustang that I could barely drive. It was five speed. And I'm like, let's go. Let's go. Check this out. Check this out. And uh, next thing you know, I see his face. (gasps) I crash into a concrete barrier in the middle of the parking lot. So here I am trying to sell this car. (laughs) And this dude sitting there without a seatbelt on. So when I hit the concrete barrier, his face just hit the windshield. And I'm looking like, damn. Holy I don't think crap. he's. I don't think he's gonna buy this car now.
1: <laughs> oh my! So you were driving it? It wasn't him that was, I was driving.
0: driving. Holy! I was crap. driving. Okay. And I crashed the car. We Jeez. didn't even make it out the parking lot, man. Needless wow. to say, I didn't last long in Phil Long. For okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Okay. You started it hot. Okay. gotcha. All
0: right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, from there, I, while I was at Phil Long, I was trying to find my my drive, my goal, my passion. So I was taking that real estate test, man. I took that test about 10 times. Uh, It was brutal, man. I went through Jones Real Estate School and I I finally passed and I started selling real estate. You know, it was before the, the crash, the real estate market crash. And I started doing pretty good. started buying homes and had some friends, some young guys, man, they owned their own real estate company, Blue Skies Realty. Al Lopez, Will Lopez, those guys was making money. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about downtown Denver buying condos for the NBA. They was making money. It was 35, 36 years old. Mm-hmm. So they showed me the game and just as things started getting good, man, the market crashed. I got a brand new baby and my wife is ETSing out the army. So I had to make a decision. We had one more uh, military move to where the military would move your furniture from wherever you want to go. I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? I want to be a police officer now. So (laughs) I always wanted to be a police officer. I had, at that point, two years of schooling Mm -hmm. for criminal justice. So I applied for the LA County Sheriff. I applied to be a roughneck with the oil field and I had to make a decision did I want to go to Arkansas, back to Arkansas, or move to LA? Wow. The cost of living in LA was ridiculous. Yeah, so we, uh, yeah. we moved, we moved, we transitioned to Arkansas. I turned down the LA County Sheriff mm-hmm. and I became a roughneck uh, on, for Bronco drilling out in Oklahoma. Gotcha. So my wife lived in Arkansas, moved them back home. I'm getting my disability money from the VA mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm out there a roughneck slanging these tongues Getting all soaking wet with this mud and oil, and I'm like, man, this this is brutal. I mean, it's good money. You work seven days on, seven days off, but this is brutal. My skin started; it was just brutal. So, a long story short, it didn't work out. I was a rough neck for gotcha. about a good month and a half, gotcha. two months. <laughs> so,
1: so, I'll tell you what. So, so I know we're getting into the uh, we get into a lot of the stories I wanted to to touch on. Uh, but as far as uh, so I, it, you kind of going through the the timeline of different jobs that she had military uh, and different journeys so we're gonna get to to all of that um, but I know you touched on uh, you know military uh, married you have children uh, and now ultimately you know things kind of emerge into government contracting that you're doing so we'll we'll get right. into we'll get into that but you kind of touched on a lot of those points in, in the and what you're doing. Uh, but we'll go back to the oil. Uh, but let's start off with going back in time to when uh, you're growing up as a child, right? And so in your, your childhood, uh, overall, what was it like being brought up in your household? Uh, what What were your parents like? What was that journey like? And then as you know you get older then we can kind of jump back into like the the oil and continue on from there so what was your childhood like
0: my childhood was grew up in the 90s man uh palm Bluff, arkansas if you know anything about palm bluff it's kind of a jump in arkansas Mm -hmm. you know so my mom was a nurse she was going to school she was an lpn at the time and my pops was a mechanic he was a mechanic and he also sold back so kind of got that entrepreneurship from my neighborhood, from my pops, you know, just seeing them sell things and sell itself to work on other people's cars. Uh, we grew up in survival, you know, so it was like you had to learn how to do things real fast. I had four brothers, I mean, no, rephrase, I have one brother, three brothers, one sister. Um, <laughs> me and my older brother would get the two younger ones together. You know, I had to Do all the one no females around, my sister Mm -hmm. stayed with her mom, so we had to bus all the chores out in the house and outside. Right. Had to get our two younger brothers together, get them to the bus stop, get them to school, then get ourselves to school. So mom had to work. My pops worked on cars all day. So he'll wake us up, but he'll go back to sleep getting ready to knock out some more cars that day. Right. So it was it was like any other kid in the 90s, man. We played a lot outside, man. We played a lot outside, rode around on our bikes. But I really got that entrepreneurship started around fourth grade. I, I started selling cookie bars okay. in fourth grade. Gotcha. And uh, I, I started with one box of cookie bars, and I busted down, and I started selling them for a quarter piece. Nice. And kids was giving me their lunch money. Nice. They were giving it to me. <laughs> So I said okay. I took that money and I went back and bought more cookie bars. Then I increased it from a quarter to fifty cent a piece. Mm. They still gave me their lunch money. So I uh, <laughs> I, I went from selling cookie bars to all different type of Debbie's to uh, those different flavor Tootsie Rolls. Oh and my God! You were the
1: snack plug, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to trading baseball cards and things oh like my gosh. that. You no. Know? Okay. So, I started early with this entrepreneurial thing, man. It's mm-hmm. it, and then I, as I got older, you know, you you will kind of acquire things like radios and rims. So I was like, okay, my friend that had a car, he might need a stereo. Well, I might be able to get the stereo for fifty dollars, then I add another fifty on, and then boom, I just made fifty dollars by just moving a stereo from here. To- here, mm-hmm. set of rims, same thing. Uh, and I kind of, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself.
1: Yeah,
0: fine. I, I I still have that same approach with contracting. I'm sort of that middleman as far as in that set aside space. Gotcha. The federal government want to supply, I mean, they, they want to order something or they want a service done, mm-hmm. and they have minority. Money, minority spending, well, I use my minority status, my veteran status, and I'll go out there to non-minorities and I'll say, okay, well, the federal government have this RFP, this request for proposal. Could you submit me a quote? Once they submit me a quote, I'll factor in my overhead and profit. I'll factor in what it costs for my guy to manage that job. And then, voila, I turn it into the government same concept, what I did in fourth grade. Now I'm just dealing Very with nice. buildings, roofs, parking lots, debris removal, UPS systems. Same concept, you just have bigger toys now. Gotcha.
1: I love that. I love that. And uh, So uh, you're, you said some really juicy stuff in there uh, as far as uh, how you use the same concept and the same internal uh, things that you had as far as uh, being an entrepreneur at at as a fourth grader selling you know cookies, selling snacks and all these things, and you just use that same mentality to translate into uh, government contracts. So this is an interesting question, and I feel like uh, people have different opinions uh, about this. So there's some people who feel that entrepreneurs, they're born and they can just be uh, basically refined over time. Uh, and some people feel like you can learn entrepreneurship uh, and just kind of go from there. so um I'll, so Gary V. are you familiar with uh, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk? Uh, Gary, okay, yeah, so he's a uh, he's big on social media. and one thing that he says when it comes to believing in an entrepreneur and you know kind of backing them is he'll get into their childhood and say, "Okay, well, what did you do when you were a kid? Like did you also have a business? Did you do a lemonade stand?" Did you do this? Like, is it in you to be an entrepreneur or is it something that you just picked up on social media and you're like, oh, well, I want to start a business today with no back experience or or no like entrepreneurship ingrained in you. So I guess what's your opinion on, on that? Like as far as people becoming entrepreneurs with no prior experience versus somebody who was an entrepreneur even before they probably even knew what entrepreneurship was. Like Do you feel like there's pros and cons to either one?
0: It's a double-edged sword. Uh, I would say for me, I've kind of always been it. But then for others that they weren't entrepreneurs growing up, if they build the confidence and have the fortitude to learn and really want it, they can become. I think confidence is everything, mm-hmm. you know. Just like if you're a doctor, you know, you have to go through an intern pro, pro a resident program, and you have to build up onto to your confident doctor to where you're able to manage your own team. So when you got those guys that's been doing this type of stuff growing up, when when we're adults, we kind of just dive in and go, you know, versus somebody they didn't have that confidence growing up, but. If they're in an environment that's nurturing them and showing them how to do it and help them build that confidence up, then they can they can run with it. So I think that anybody can be an entrepreneur. They just have to believe in their self and have a vision on where they're trying to go so they can hit that mark. Um gotcha. I think see, I seen people, man, that couldn't sell anything that, you know, once they got a little bit of help and a little bit of confidence, they're making a ton of money.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. That, that makes it that's, that's- Definitely a good answer because that, thats something that I definitely thought about. Because growing up, I—I I was like that—that that kid to where, like, in high school is when my, I guess, entrepreneurship journey started, uh, and my first taste of sales was, uh, uh, I guess, funny enough, it was with candy. But it was a box of candy that was given by my keyboard uh, teacher, and so he was like, "All right, we're gonna raise money for new equipment or whatever. Here's this box of candy." Uh, you know, go, you know, go for it, sell those. And then at the end of however X amount of weeks, give us your money and we'll do that. So I remember I got this box of candy and I remember my sister, uh, she used to do that, you know, back in the day. Uh, and so I'm like, you know what, let me just go and, you know, I'll I'll see where I'll sell it at. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, I know I got basketball practice afterwards. Um, you know, I can't really give candy to my mom for her to sell at work. So let me just try to sell this. At lunch. And so I'll go to the lunchroom and I would hurry up, get my food, you know, eat that up. And then I'll go from table to table and I would <laughs> open up the box. I'm like, hey, what's going on? I got whatever you need. I got the Snickers, Twix, I got this and that. And they're like, well, why would I buy it from you for a dollar when the machine sells it for a dollar? I'm like, well, for convenience. I'm in front of you. I'm going to hand deliver you, you know, th- this stuff. And it's like, I start just for whatever reason, I was comfortable with just going from spot to spot, uh, just selling this, this candy. And I feel like a lot of that came from uh, my parents who were also entrepreneurs and when it, whether it was selling jewelry or being in real estate, they would send me to uh, go to people's houses to collect funds for payments that they were making on like jewelry. And so from five, six years old, I'm knocking on doors I'm collecting money. I gotta talk to adults about you know these different situations. So when it came to uh selling this candy, I guess it was like a, a trigger of me going back at like the five, six-year-old, like, hey, here you go. I got this, I got that, blah, blah. And so I remember at the end of that that first lunch period, got the box, sold everything, had all the money, and I came back to him. I'm like, all right, here you go. He's like, Oh, what, what happened to your candy? I'm like, Oh, I sold it all. He's like, I gave that to you like today. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I I just sold it, so you got another box. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, we got another box. Like, he got the box, brought it back to me. I'm like, okay, cool. So next day, same thing. Went to lunch, sold out the box, and I went back to him. He was like, do you sell out again? I'm like, yeah. He's like, wait, like you, like you got something? Like you, like it's like how are you selling out in a day? But it kind of touched on what you were saying as far as having that instinct in you and that was instilled in you by your, so that was instilled in you, uh, from your dad for being an entrepreneur and him, uh, just overall being able to, uh, put that in you, uh, and you're able to move on from that. So I I think that's, that's super interesting. But, um, as you went through your childhood and you, uh, you know, became an adult. You said so you went from high school straight to the military. Did you have any jobs while you were in high school?
0: I worked at I, mean, I had a ton of jobs, man. My first job was 15. I was I was a store, I was I was a stacker. I used to stack groceries at night. Mm-hmm. I worked for County Market. And then I want to say I stayed there for six months. Then I left and I joined this temp service. And the temp service they made money off you, so they sent you everywhere. And they used to send me,
1: you ever heard of Tyson food?
0: Yeah, yeah, Tyson's chicken.
1: Oh, that's in man, Arkansas, sent, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: okay, gotcha, yeah. They sent, they sent me there, man. And uh, we was moving all this cold chicken, it was like a line of folks, line of grown people. You got you put all this stuff on the boots, your hair net on, and you moving all this chicken, you come out smelling like a mule, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> man, it was rough, yeah. So, I, I didn't. Stayed that long, mm-hmm. so then they sent me to uh, out on the river these barges, you know, and they would bring on these heavy wires and things like that. I had a ton of jobs growing up, man. I we 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 was broke. Mm-hmm. We was broke, so I had to I had to get some money somehow some way. Got Even it. when I was in the army, I had a part time job. Uh, I, I would be in the army, and then I would work at night at West Communication, making phone calls, mm-hmm. you know always had a way to make money. Uh, remember I told you about my pops in the vacuums, right? Right. Well, He showed me how to work those vacuums in those uh, carpet cleaners. Mm-hmm. So he went and got this job at this, this nursing home. And all those old folks needed their carpet clean. Mm. Man, I used to go in there and make so much money cleaning their carpets. I, <laughs> I just always had to have some type of money in my pocket. If it was raking leaves, cutting yards, carpet cleaning... Uh, did all that?
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So you always had the drive in you since a kid, and it translated into that. So now you get uh into the military. You already spoke about uh, that progress, uh, and now going into the uh, oil industry, uh, like you were talking about before. So while you were working in the oil field, what attracted you to working in oil, and um, and kind of talk about uh, again what made you uh get out of that?
0: Uh, what got me into the oil industry? Um, I used to see this this company called Slumager. I can't re- really pronounce the name, but I remember when I was a capping in the military, they was a big time hire of hire veterans. So I went to this veteran job board and I seen Bronco drilling. And I said, man, what the heck? I'm gonna put in for it. I need something quick. They were paying $5,000 a month to work two weeks out the month. I was like, that's real good money. No, I was 25 years old. That's real good money. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me started, man. I would work. I would stay home for a week. And I was still in school. Then I will drive to the job site, live in the trailer for a week. And work 12 hours a day for seven days a week. Then I will drive home. As soon as that shift was over with, I didn't go to sleep. I drove straight home. It was six and a half seven-hour drive back to my Ooh, house. I'll be geez. on the road like this, man. But I made it, i made it up because I had a newborn. I had a newborn yeah. and my wife was pregnant. Oh, you know, my God. kids are back to back. Yeah. They're back to back. So, and she was going to Sea uh, Art, which was a two-year college. So, I didn't want to just leave her. And like I say, finances were tight. So, we couldn't really just pay for daycare and things like that. So, those were some sleepless nights. Gotcha. Just constantly moving. Boom. Gotcha. Goodness.
1: Okay. So, uh, so when you knew how far the job was, did that uh change uh, your mind at all, or was it like a hey, like by any means necessary? This is what I got to do in order to. Uh, it, it pays well, and it gives me time off. So, uh, so what, what was your thought process during that?
0: I had to take that job because that was the only thing that would pay me decently i wanted to be a local police officer man but hell they was only paying twenty eight thousand 000 a year you know so coming from being a realtor to making money that was the only thing that i can get real fast at the time i wanted off and make decent pay so i had to leave that job that job was kind of you know it wasn't a It wasn't the type of job that you wanted to be in long term. Right. So I had I had to make a decision. Uh, I made a decision when I left that job to just solely focus on school. Gotcha. And I went I went and joined DeVry. DeVry was my startup. And from from there, I started transitioning to other colleges until I finally finished my degree. Uh, When I finished my degree. I knew I wanted to get into some type of federal work. I wanted to go and work for the VA as a VA police. Mm -hmm. So I put in a plethora of job applications, man, with federal agencies. So now here I am here. I'm thinking that, okay, when I wanted to apply for a job, federal agencies tell me you don't have enough education. So I went through the Chapter 35 program with the VA when it got my degree. Now they're saying, okay, now you got your degree. Well, now you don't have any experience. Mm. So I'm like, well, I was in the military. Right. So I just kept getting knocked off. I, I'll go to an interview there. I hired somebody that they knew that was already in the system. So I just kept getting knocked off, man. And uh, I think I th- this is the time I ran across a guy, man, that kind of introduced me to government contract. Gotcha. So
1: you were introduced to someone who uh, was, uh, in government contracting and he introduced you to the world of government contractors. So where did you meet this person?
0: <laughs> I met these guys through my kids. Uh, I, my kids were going to a college prep. They're still going to the college prep school, Alaska Academy. And just by being in that world, that atmosphere, and I have to pay for that tuition kind of run across people that's in the best line of life. Mm-hmm. A lot of contractors, federal, just various different kind of contractors. So this guy, he knew me for a few years, but after his son and my son became real good friends, we were sitting up one night, you know, having a drink. And he said, hey, uh, what do you do? I said, well, uh, trying to find a job with the federal government. He said, hey, you ever thought about government contracting? You're, you, you, you're a veteran, you can get veteran contracts i said no nah, i never heard of it and that's where it started he uh gave me a nugget he said hey man you ought to check out sba.gov you ever heard anything about set asides it's like no never heard anything so i went to sba.gov man and it was like man it was like a whole new world i started researching set aside contracting and as i got more information about the subject i'll go back to him. And he'll give me more information. And I'll go back to him after after I've done further research until I knew enough information to get in trouble. I had started my own company and I was just diving into things. Right. Right. And uh, he told me this one thing. He said, hey, you have to find your niche. You have to find your niche. You have to find that one person that needs a Derek." Once you have your niche and you have that one person that needs a Derek, everything, is going to, everything is going to fall in place. Yes.
1: Wait, and, not, and not to cut you off, you said uh, several things that were huge uh, just then. So one, you. Put your kids in a position uh, to where they're able to go to a different type of school to get a different type of education. And by being in that environment, you're aware that. You will meet people that are doing other things in life rather than just a regular nine to five. You're going to be around other people. So whether that's in that situation where it's your school, whether it's you picking up your kids, going to PTA meetings, whatever, but also going into real estate functions uh, or these different meetups that have these folks, they're folks with similar mindsets or people that are beyond where you are. And by going out there and just being around them, you are able to befriend some of these people and learn from them. And you never know what conversation will take you to that next level. But something else that you said that was huge is by him telling you about government contracting. What a lot of people do is they'll be like, oh, no, I never heard of it. And then he'll just say a few more nuggets for you. And you'll be like, oh, that's cool. And most people will take that information and they'll just leave it in the cool status. Like, all right, well, I'll just put that in the back of my mind. That's cool. But, you know, maybe later right now, I'm looking for something else. I don't know what that is. But you took that information and you actually did your own research. So he didn't just tell you the whole thing right then and there. Like, hey, first you got to do this. You got to do this. Boom, boom, boom. He just gave you those nuggets, like you said. And from there you're like, all right, let me go do my own research so that I can find out more about this. And what's even more important that you did is you took the information that he gave, you researched, you found out more things, and then you went back to him and said, hey, this is the new information I have. Now, what are my next steps with this? And something that I would say frustrates people that you know are giving information about things, whether it's like Uh, for example, there are uh, people that I was showing how to do wholesale deals or whatever, uh, or whether it's people giving information to people. The the frustrating part is whenever you're giving information to someone and they don't use it and they don't take action, it discourages you from really sharing information because you're like, well, why would I share it if you're not going to do anything with it? And you have to find that love within yourself of, you know what, I'm just sharing because I like to share, but not because oh I know this person is going to use it. But when you find that person that takes the information that you bring and you see they went out, they did work and they came back to you, now it also excites you cuz you're like, "Oh, you're excited about this." Just like, "I'm excited about it." So now it's like, "All right, well, what do you need? Here's my number. Here's about hey, let's have lunch, let's do whatever because the same passion or the same drive that you have about this thing is the same thing that I had when I first started, and so I am so excited to share this information with you. So I, I didn't want that to go over people's heads because you you said something that was that was huge, and by you taking that information, research, go back to him. This is what I got. He gave you next steps. Did more research. And now you're doing what you do. So I, I didn't want that to go over people's head, but go ahead and continue. But that, because that's that's huge what you just said.
0: Man, you're right. Exposure is everything. Mm-hmm. Hey, my, I, if you're around a whole lot of people that's doing nothing in life, somehow, some way, it rubs off on you a little bit. Exactly. If you're around a ton of people that is trying to conquer the world every day, that energy is going to rub off on you. Right. Uh, I found that I'm a real big fan of law of attraction. The Lord. The Lord has blessed me, you know, with just the ability to envision it mm-hmm. and go and knock it down. You know, the mind is everything and life and death lies in the power of the tongue. So once you speak it into existence, you said it earlier, you know, you was looking for you was looking for this tea and you you said, you said, hey, man, I wish it was somebody here that made this tea. Then a the light bulb went off. Mm-hmm. You spoken into existence and now you got your tea. Exactly. You know, exactly.
1: Yeah, and actually, uh, uh, so for the backstory for people to, to know uh, what, what you talk about as far as the tea. So um, my wife and I, we went on uh, our honeymoon. We were going to Thailand and we had a layover in China. And in the airport uh, at one of the restaurants there, they had uh, this tea because it was freezing about there. And they had this tea, uh, but it was ice. It was a mandarin and honey tea. I'm like, man, I would love to have this mandarin honey tea, but it's iced. Can y'all make this hot? And so they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely, we can make it hot. So from there, they made the hot tea. I took my first sip, and I was like, Whoa! Like this is delicious. This is like the best tea I've ever had. And so from there, I remember I got a second, uh, a second cup. I got a third cup. I got a fourth cup, and and I got so much of it because I'm like, Man, I don't know when I'm ever gonna be able to have this tea again. So let me just drink as much of it as I can. I'm like, do y'all sell packets of this? It's like, no, there's no packets. We just make it in the back, and I don't even know. I don't even know how they make it. I'm just a server. I just order it, and they bring the cup, and I bring it to you. And I'm like, man. And so I remember taking like a video of me drinking, uh, you know, the, the 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 cup. I remember taking a picture of the name, and I'm like, man. One day, I need to come back to China, to get this tea, uh, and that was in my mind from 2019. And so. Time went on, and every now and then I'd be like, man, I don't know when I'm going to be able to go back to China to get this tea." but man, I I would love to go back. And then it wasn't until uh, I went to Arkansas a couple weeks ago for uh, a wedding, Uh, and this is where I actually got to uh, meet Derek uh, in person uh, for the first time, but uh, when we... So when I went to Arkansas, uh, we were talking to a friend of, of my wife, and she was talking about um, I was talking to a friend of hers. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, there's this tea because he ordered a tea. And I'm like, man, there's this tea. Man, I wish one day I can get this tea again. Uh, this is what this is what it's about. This like this is what was in it. And I, I showed him the video. Like, Oh, man, nothing looks so good. Like this tea is <laughs> like it's so crazy. And then as I was speaking it out, I'm like, man, I wonder if there's somebody in Houston that makes this tea. And then I'm like, wait, hold up. I wonder if I could just make the tea myself. And so right then and there, while we were eating breakfast, I remember looking up how to make uh, Mandarin and honey tea. And from there, like the third link down, it was the full recipe on how to make this tea. And I'm like, so for years, I've just been sitting there being like, man, it'll be so nice if one day I could go back. And who's to say that restaurant is like not out of business or whatever. So even if I went back to China and that place wasn't there, then it's like, then what? But because of speaking about what my desires were, just like how you spoke your desires of, man, I would love to work for the government or have like a contract with the government. By speaking that out, that sparked something that led to something. Right now, I'm actually drinking a tea right now. I make it all the time. It's, <laughs> it's delicious. So, so yeah, look, go, ahead, go ahead and continue. <laughs>
0: oh. What you want me to hit on next? Oh I'm yeah, I, I know I, I can't, you got my I, wheels turning so, yeah, now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, le- starting back off from the conversation, so you got information from uh, the the person that told you about government contracting. You did got some research, brought it back to him, and then what was your journey after that?
0: Oh man, uh, you said you have to find your niche. Mm-hmm. So I I thought my niche would be in transportation, because that's what I did in the Army. Uh, so I, I looked into freight broker. Now, I didn't know anything about freight broker. I, I I just knew that, okay, I knew a little bit about transportation in the Army, because that's what I did. So I, I hurry up and got certified as a freight broker. I bought all these insurances. That's what I didn't know. In order to be a freight broker, you have to have a ton of insurances. And up front, I'm, up front, I'm out of $20,000 before I even have one load. Then I found out the hard way that now, even though you have the insurance, and you're a freight broker, companies are not going to trust a new broker with their load. So, man, that first year was a bust. Like I completely had to eat that loss. All these insurances, I kind of stepped in on, in, the, in the deep end. So from there, uh, I end up talking to another gentleman, and he said, "Well, why are you not in construction?" <laughs> I said okay well i look into it next thing you know i had my gc license and I, I i once again i dove into the deep end and when it got me a demolition contract for the department of interior now i'm thinking that i could just get in and give it to this guy and he do everything and i didn't understand the paperwork process behind things so i found myself running like a chicken with my head cut off trying to learn the business 100 miles per hour and get this job knocked out uh, I completely underbid the job to where I didn't properly estimate it. So the guy gave me a price of just say 20000 I said, well, okay. He said he can get it done in 30 days. Man, if I can make another $5,000, I'm just going to add $5,000 to it. I didn't factor in the overhead. I didn't factor in the labor cost for how much it'll cost to manage. I didn't factor in the superintendent. So I complete, I was the lowest bidder, and the government is going to give it to the lowest bidder. They want to save money. Uh, it's up to you if you fail or succeed. Uh, so I got it. I knocked it out. I didn't make any money, man. I didn't make any money. It was just a notch on my belt that I got my first contract and knocked it out. And each project I just built upon. Uh, a few months later following that project, I, I hurry up and dove into some state work. And I I went and got a few roofs with this local contract. I figured this guy was, you know, he was doing things up the par and that he was making money. So I once again, when you get quotes, you want to get two or three, four quotes. Well, I just quoted these these jobs with this one contract, the banking that man, he's in my environment. He's in this West Little Rock crowd, he's going to get it done. Man, that guy cost me eighty thousand dollars. Eighty thousand in the hole, my heart. I lost weight, man. I'm talking. about I was looking skinny. My heart felt like <laughs> it was about to explode. Uh, uh, like, <laughs> and needless to say, I, I finished the job. Yeah, but I, I took that loss. Mm. He was broke. I couldn't. I couldn't come to him and get the money back. Mm-hmm. I didn't make him it so therefore. I've learned a hard lesson. If you got somebody doing some work, make sure you get a bond. So if they mess up, you can attack their bond. Right. So All I had hold, nothing to really hold, hold, drop. Hold
1: on, hold on. You, you, you dropped so many things in this last couple of minutes. All right. So I want to start back up from uh, being a freight broker. All right. So okay. when you're the, the freight broker, uh, you're saying how it's extremely important to get um, tons of insurances. And not just important. You need to get the insurances at the beginning. Um, but even then it's hard to get the trust of, uh, these companies because you're a new broker. So would it have been possible to partner with someone else that has the experience, but because you have the, the, well, I mean, would you have a contract at that point? Or would it just be bidding, uh, for a particular contract? Like, how how would that go? If you were to partner with somebody and be like, yeah, though I'm new, I'm partnering with somebody that's experienced.
0: And at that time, I didn't really understand team and arrangements and partnerships. Okay. At that time, I was had that simple-minded effect, this is my business, this is how I'm gonna how I'm gonna do it, versus it's enough money out there for everybody to make money, you really need to take on partnerships and team and arrangements. So I was too naive and immature at that time to where I didn't even consider partnering with somebody. I just thought that everybody was a competitor. Mm-hmm. Wrong logic, you know? Mm-hmm um everybody's not competitive
1: right gotcha so so you could have to to go over that issue of being a new person you could have just easily partnered with somebody and just had a smaller piece of a pie rather than not getting anything and just taking a huge loss that year basically okay gotcha all right and so uh going into getting your uh gc license what was that process like for you
0: For me, I'm a think-outside-the-box type of guy. I really comprehend things. So I went in on the first time. I figured it's open book. If it's open book, you should be able to pass the test. So (laughs) I passed the test, man. I mean, I made a 70, but I passed the test. There you go. There you go. Uh,
1: Passing is passing.
0: Yeah. I passed the test. You know, Mm -hmm. for some people, it it was difficult. I took that book in, and I passed the test. Once you get your GC license, then you have to get other insurances and things. And uh, you have to have some experience. So you have to have somebody that's already in the industry that can give you small opportunities to where you can use that as experience references to get your license. Mm,
1: okay. So I was
0: able to do a few small jobs in order to get my GC license. Then I also, for me to do commercial, I had to have an amount in the bank, a certain amount of money in the bank in order to. Get that GC commercial license.
1: Okay, so so now okay, you you're bringing in some some good information. So you get your license. um, So first, you have to get. There's a experience level in order to even get the license. So you have to meet like certain hour criteria.
0: You have to show that you have performed efficiently on a job, to where they'll say, okay, we need three references saying that you've done some demolition work or some paving or some roofing or some electrical or whatnot. You need to show that you have worked with a licensed GC already or with a a company and have done work already before they would approve your license.
1: So what type of work is needed? Is it any general, because like you're saying, plumbing, electrical, some of these things, but does it have to be on commercial buildings or can it be on residential uh,
0: projects as well? They have a residential license, Mm -hmm. GC, which is smaller requirements versus commercial. I chose to go commercial because I feel like paperwork is paperwork. If you have to fill out a contract for residential, you're going to have to fill out the same contract for commercial and the return on your investment is going to be better on the commercial side than the residential side.
1: So, okay. By you saying that statement, paperwork is paperwork. That reminds me of an interview that I saw with Magic Johnson some years back. And he was saying how for the longest he was chasing what I would consider smaller deals. I'm sorry. I would consider large deals, but he said they were smaller deals. So he was like, you know, he would chase things that would. Uh, he would chase contracts or deals that would make him hundreds of thousands or sometimes maybe a couple million. And he was like, well, the same amount of effort that it takes to make one million for him is the same amount of effort it takes to make a hundred million. So he's like, why not uh, try to do those deals to where you're making a hundred million versus a million or uh you know, the same amount of effort it takes to make a hundred thousand that, you know, same thing to, to do 10 million. So by you saying, okay, well, yes, there's residential, yes, there's commercial, but it's the same amount of work to be able to achieve it. So why not get the more lucrative of the two, which is commercial. So, it's very important that that uh, that they catch that you said that well yeah go, go ahead
0: a residential roof you might make four or five thousand dollars on one roof but on the commercial side you can easily make fifty thousand dollars mm. same pr- paperwork same submittal process for the most part you got your people on site uh what i've learned with minority contractors is that minority contractors like to go for the low-hanging fruit you know and I'm not saying that's a bad thing that might be their niche that might be their niche. I figure in my mindset is if it's difficult, then it's very rewarding on it might be rewarding on the other side if it's easy, then you know that means everybody can do it you know, so I kind of like to challenge myself with
1: things Gotcha, okay. So when you're saying difficulty, what type of difficulty are you saying uh is is there so um, is it basically. So I guess expl- explain on that, because when I think difficult, I'm thinking, is it a complex issue or is it that it's such a large project that logistics become complex? So so I guess explain. A scenario and explain how it would be on a residential side versus what it will be on like the, the commercial side.
0: More risk involved on right. the commercial side. OK, you might have higher buildings you might have to deal with osha you might have to deal with traffic control versus on the residential side it's just one level and it might just be a shingle roof or it might just be one driveway on the commercial side it 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 might be the same thing but it's a larger it's more risk right you know so but it's more rewarding gotcha gotcha okay
1: so those more risks as far as exposure if things go wrong, basically? Um, or it's just uh additional requirements too.
0: Also additional requirements. Gotcha. Um and 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 I don't really know how OSHA plays a part with uh residential, but I know in commercial, OSHA OSHA could come down on you pretty heavy. You have a lot of requirements for a commercial. Gotcha. Um right. but is is more rewarding, man. Like, I, to go in and, and, and do a commercial project in the hospital, you have to consider other factors like patients, uh, hospital safety and things like that. And it's tedious, it's more tedious, but on the residential side, you have to factor in customers and customers, well, this is not right. So it's still the same kind of tedious, it's just on different levels. And the return on your investment is much more on the commercial side. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: So when you're speaking of OSHA, I know uh, in the insurance world as an adjuster, uh, there are certain regulations that they'll put on the best practices for doing certain things. So when it comes to the particular angle that your ladder should be, whenever you're like climbing a roof, they'll say, okay, well, this is what OSHA says your angle should be. This is the amount of whatever it should be over like the, uh uh the ridge uh of a roof whenever you're you're climbing on uh so when you're speaking uh OSHA what would you say OSHA's uh purpose is uh when it comes to some of these projects that you're doing and and what is OSHA
0: work workplace safety um, you put me on the spot with that one. what is OSHA I can't, I can't really spell out OSHA, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they they are the defi- defining body that you abide by for safety in the workplace. Gotcha. Okay, I'm gonna give you a prime example. You have a subcontractor come to your house. You make that subcontractor provide you with electrical plans, safety plans, traffic control. Most residential customers don't do that, so a lot of contractors just like to go and just give you a, a subcontract agreement, and then they go to work. Versus on the commercial side, you might have to provide an excavation plan, a site safe, site specific safety plan. Uh, Uh, fall hazard plan you have to provide more plans because it's more risk adverse but it's still the same it's still it's paperwork is paperwork you're going to make more money you know you you go so
1: it's, it's 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 interesting that you're saying like all these different types of plans so does that knowledge come from if you're working with uh, a contractor do they just give you like the rundown of like hey this is all the information that you need like how how did you how do you know this stuff like like because i know there's an open book test but then you get your experience by going on a couple of projects but do people really lay it out for you like that or is it just from years of experience
0: well a little bit of experience by me being exposed to it and just say the customer i'm just going to just say the VA, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. They might put out an RFP, which is a request for a proposal. And in that package, they might say, okay, in order to get this proposal, we want to we break out of your estimate. You have to submit your safety plan. You have to submit your environmental plan. You have to submit your ICRA and all these different plans mm-hmm. in your proposal. So they'll put, they'll spell it all out in the RFP. Mm-hmm. And then you just pretty much break it all out and, submit the proper documentations according to what they spell out in the RFP. So each agency will give you a big book of information that you have to go through and break down. So when I submit my proposal versus somebody else's, they're going to go through their checklist. Okay. Yes. This plan, this plan, this plan, this company doesn't have it. Okay. We're just going to throw their proposal out because mm-hmm. they didn't abide by the RFP. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you might find yourself in the situation just by, You might be a little bit over budget, but this company might have forgotten to submit a safety plan. So now their proposal got kicked out and now you find yourself right there. You know, your your proposal is the only proposal. And by you being over budget, they need to get it done in an emergency. You might win that job over budget because they consider that the best value approach. Wow.
1: Okay. so this is interesting. Um, By you explaining that, it reminds me of how when my wife is working on doing different projects and we need like a virtual assistant to do like uh, certain portions of a larger project. What she would do is she would be very specific in the way that she would request for them to apply for the job. So it'll be like uh, first reply that you're interested. Also send us a audio recording of you so that, uh, you know, reading a particular script or handling a certain scenario, send us, you know, X, Y, like she'll just go through, like four or five things that they have to do. And for whatever reason, there are several people that'll just say, yes, I'm interested and just sit in the audio, but not do everything else. And I'm like, oh, we got 15 applications. And she'll just look through the first one. Like, uh, they didn't set the audio off. Like, uh, they didn't <laughs> do this off. I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa hold on. Like maybe they would have been decent. It's like, if they're not detailed enough to go through what the few things that we're asking, then they're going to mess up The larger project that we have in the back so beyond uh that that uh that thing of oh well they didn't have this let's let us call them and let them know they need to bring that well that could translate into how you would do the job of uh oh well we're not going to be there to hold your hand in order to do this project so if you can't even apply right you can't do the job right and so i feel like that is it's very interesting that that's the the, the way that they do that, uh, and it's not just to be jerks. It's just in a way, it's keeping it's for safety reasons. Like if you're doing a government contract, say if you're working on you know the construction of a building, if they can't trust you to apply for a job correctly, then you may put people's life in risk, which is is very interesting. But yeah, uh, go ahead with uh, what you're saying,
0: in federal contracting paperwork, paperwork process is everything. If you have a good team, if you have a good team that can get the paperwork in and structure it properly, that makes the client job very easy because everything is spelled out. If the client has to go and look for it, they're less likely to want to work with you. But if you could show that you could submit proper documentation, then we get on site, you can back everything up in a physical form according to the way you spelled it out. They like you. They'd be more keen to give you a call on future opportunities. And the second and third time, it won't be as strenuous because now you have built that relationship with it. I love it.
1: So is there a, and I know whenever they put their postings, they're very specific on what they need, but as far as overall prepping the documents that you need and, and organizing things in a particular way, uh, is there a service that is provided uh, with that? Like, is there like a company that, you know, someone could call uh, to, to help them with that situation or you just got to kind of know someone who, who does it?
0: Man, it's a ton of services. It's a, it's a ton of services. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Okay. Uh, I got lucky. I got lucky, man. Uh, through all my trials and tribulations of contracting, I kind of people say, hey, you need to call this person. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, that person come on board and that person come on board and now I got a whole team to where everybody's communicating and this person does this, this person does that. I do this and now it's all going smooth. So I have somebody on a few people on my team, but I have, I have a person that take care of the payroll accounting. I have a person that makes sure all the schedule of values and the submittals. Oh man, she's awesome. She take care of that. I have people that estimate, get jobs into the field and, communicate on my behalf. Um, you can't do everything, man. You have to find people that's good at what they do, take care of your people, pay them appropriately, and, you know, don't beat around the bush, man. A lot of people mess over their customers. I mean, of their, uh, over their employees. Right. You got to take right. care of your people. You take care of your people, your people going to take care of you. You got to be a man about your word or a woman about your word, and you'll have a successful company.
1: Gotcha. So... Um, As far as the people that you would contact and uh, even if it's not your particular contacts, where would you say is a spot that someone could go to to first know who they even need to bring on their team, who they need to contact? Is there a particular website or some type of source that you could share that it's like, you know what, if you call this company, they'll at least uh, let you know. Who you need or this is one piece of the puzzle that you need for a government contracting.
0: For federal contracting where to start would be sba.gov. Okay, and I know it's generic But start with sba.gov and learn the rules to check out set-aside contract Learn what set-aside contract is know what vehicles that the government use what I mean by vehicles is woman-owned disadvantaged woman-owned hub zone 8A certification, service disabled veteran owned small business, Indian tribal, or veteran owned small business. Understand what each of those set asides would allow you to do in the government space and how to best utilize them. Um, research teaming and agreements and teaming and arrangements and joint ventures. Understand how all of that can play into your scenario. Ask questions. Um, reach out to guys that's in the industry, you can go to um how do you find US US spending, US Spending.gov. I want to say US spending or USA. Type in US spending.gov into Google and you can track down contracts, prime contractors, and see who's making the money in the federal government, mm. in your state, in your area, across the United States, US territories, and you you might run across somebody you like and you might want to do a team and arrangement with them or a mentor protege to where you you do some type of arrangement and they can teach you the game. They can walk you through it step by step and okay. you can learn the process. Once you find your niche mm-hmm. and develop your process, it's, it's up here forever and you can reinvent it. All you, oh, The 8A certification, right? Okay. It is a nine year certification that would allow government agencies if they like what you do, they can just sole source you an opportunity up to four and a half million dollars for construction. I was told that they're negotiating that one up to eight million. I'm not sure. But just say if an entity loves you and they love the way you perform, they love your paperwork, they could just give you a job. Mm. They can just say, hey, we got this. Here you go. Let's negotiate it. But. In order to get to that status, you have to be on your computer responding to markets market uh market surveys surveys, which is uh sources notifications on beta.sam. You have to respond and say, okay, we're interested in this payment. Say, say, that, say
1: that last thing again. You said something beta say that again.
0: Beta.sam is where the government, it's a website that the government posts solicitations, which are opportunities, RFPs. And also on that website, they, you can filter it by special notices, source salt Source salts are market surveys to where the government say, okay, we have an opportunity coming out, and we're looking for minority disadvantaged businesses that can self-perform or that can perform this. And what they mean by that is you don't have to have a company that can go in there and do the whole job. They want to know if you have the mental capability to get this job and manage it. You can hire somebody to do it, but can you manage it? and they They might be asking you for uh, a few past performances, a few jobs that you've already done. Mm-hmm. So you respond to it, you answer the questions, you're attaching your capabilities to it, and you send it in. And you just, I, I wake up every day, when I see something I want, I respond to it, I send it in, sometimes I get feedback, sometimes people might say, you know what, I really like your capabilities. Uh, are you available for a company introduction? Mm-hmm set up a company introduction my team and i will be on the zoom call a conference call and then we will break down our capabilities and how we could self-perform this we will value engineer this for them and say okay this is what we bring to the table if they like it they might say you know what here here's the rfp so when you know, you're
1: saying uh capabilities uh what what do you what do you mean by that
0: okay so if it is a roofing opportunity uh they might say, OK, submit five, different, five completed roofing jobs that you've done in the past. Mm-hmm. So now I got it on the capability statement and I send it to them. So when I have a conference with them, they got my information in front of me. Now, I don't I might not know anything about this, but I got somebody on my team. Right. Mm-hmm. I can have them on that conference call with me. So when they start asking technical questions about the job and the specifications, my teammate, he'll just start firing off. And then they, they 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 might say, "Hey, you know what? You're very knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. We'll keep you in mind. You know, gotcha. here's an opportunity coming up. So, and over time, man, that's how you build those relationships. Gotcha.
1: So, and I know you're uh, speaking about. Um, you were talking about uh, you would bring things up like veteran, disabled, minority, woman you know, all these things, why is that important when it comes to a government contracting and, and what benefits are there to, to be these different things?
0: The reason that's important, because I'm just gonna be honest, in the minority space, you know, we didn't grow up in certain industries, construction, owning companies and things like that. So those set-asides give you the opportunity to compete with companies that's been in it for a while that that's making money in it. It it allows you the set aside space to play in heavy civil, paving parking lots, building commercial buildings for the government. So you can utilize that set aside, partner up with a company that's been doing it forever, 50 years, then you can learn the process. Or just say you went to college and that's your niche. You learn how to do heavy civil, but you can't really just break into doing work for the city of Arkansas or in your area. But, so you need these different set of sides to make you more marketable because the federal government, they get points. They get points for each job they give to a minority contractor, uh, woman-owned veteran, service disabled veteran. They get points for that. So they have they, they try their best to meet their goals, but if they can't meet it, then they'll give it to a, another company.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so, so that's very interesting. So, and I feel like it's very important for people to to know that there is this system and there's rules set in place for people who may feel like you know what I don't want to do that because uh, I'm I'm this I'm a minority I'm a woman I'm this I'm that I can't get into this field because uh it's difficult for someone like me to break into this field. Well, because there's incentives for the government uh to uh allocate these funds for people that are a part of these groups, it is beneficial for you all to go into it because there's money that's actually waiting for you and all you got to do is know how to properly fill out the paperwork and put yourself in position to be able to really do these government. like. like is that what you would say? It's pretty much the the deal?
0: Right. That's the deal. It's there. it's there. And it could be given to you, but I'm going to tell you, it's a ton of minority contractors out there that's not working. They can't get work because a lot of minority contractors feel like once I get these certifications, they're supposed to give it to me. Mm. You still have to get out there and shake the tree you still have to get out there and build that you know brand you still have to get out there and speak to people let them know that you're out there you know even though you have the certifications they're not just going to give it to you because you still have to make yourself known you still got to put in a little bit of work but once you put in that work and people get to know you it it start it start coming in and it, it comes in fast so how would you recommend that you market yourself That's a good question, man. Uh, It all depends on what your niche is. Understand the prime subcontractor relationship. So just say you got these $100 million companies, right? These prime companies that manage billion-dollar contracts. They have a subcontractor plan, which means they have minority goals. So since they have this big contract, they have to seek and find minority companies that can perform on their contract. And that's hard for them to do a lot. It's, it's hard for them to find contracts. It's just not a lot of minorities mm-hmm. performing in this space. So what I do is I like to go to the SBA subnet. OK, the SBA subnet is a big map, type it into Google subnet, and I click on the state that I'm interested in and it'll have a list of opportunities per prime. Once you see that prime contractor name, you click on it, click on that opportunity, and then you reach out to them. You send them your capability statement. They might have a link to where you have to fill out a subcontractor box to say, hey, questionnaire to say we're interested. Reach out to all of them. Make yourself known to them. Send them your capability statement. And when they have an opportunity at RFP, they'll put you on their business list. Once you get on that bidder's list, all you have to do is properly bid it, bid it out right and go in there and knock it out. Do what you say you're going to do. Once you knock it out the park, they like you, they're seeing you more opportunities. Uh, I'm in a situation where we're on a few people radar and now we get opportunities through the email because they like the way we submit our paperwork. They like the way we get in and knock things out. so you don't have to just make money as a prime with the federal government. You can still do government work on federal f- facilities working for prime contractors. And it's still rewarding. Gotcha. Utilizing so, your certifications. So
1: that that is that is huge. So you're saying that, uh, like you said, for working with subcontractors, you can go in and because of your certifications, you can bring opportunities. Uh, to people with experience because of your certifications.
0: Correct. Gotcha. You could, or they may have the opportunities with a requirement saying, I need you to go out there and for 50% of your contracts, I want you to go out there and hire service disabled veterans or woman owned business or hubs owned businesses, minority businesses. So, they would have to actually go out there and try to find those companies and see if they're going to bid on it. And if they can't find those companies, they have to write a justification letter saying, okay, we did our market research to try to find a subcontract in that industry and we couldn't find them. So, we're going to go ahead and put somebody else in that spot. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Gotcha. So, and you would find those opportunities, uh, you would say, on SBA subnet. That's the list of. Opportunity, like the, the website you go to for those opportunities, uh, is that what you're what you're saying? So is that like for like nationwide, or is it a, a local website, or, or or what is that?
0: It's it's, it's nationwide. It's a it's a SBA platform. Uh, you can also find those opportunities. Get in contact with your local PTAC. Your PTAC? local PTAC office.
1: What, what PTAC?
0: Is that? Okay. It is a, a procurement assistance uh, program that each state has. P uh, I know in Arkansas A P tag or something like that. And what they do, they 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 give free courses, free classes. Uh they 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 show you how to create a capability statement. They show you how to create a resume. They will help you with a business plan. All this is free information. Uh they kind of guide you through the process uh to help you get what you where you need to go. It's tedious, but mm-hmm. some for so I took I went through it.
1: See, now that, that's huge. So this, this is the type of stuff I'm talking about. This is why, and I, I appreciate you coming on, is really sharing this information. So these are the type of websites, these are the type of programs that uh, you have to really, either it's behind like a huge paywall to where they're like, oh, I'll give you more information, but you pay me $997 in this book, and in the book it leads to a seminar, and the seminar leads to a mentorship, and the mentorship leads to, it's like, <laughs> I spent like $30,000 and I still didn't get a contract yet. You know what I'm saying? So by you going in and just, uh, one, sharing the overview of what things could be and also sharing the resources of, for more information, SBA.gov, SBA subnet, uh, find the PTEC office, and learning that they can actually give you those courses and really guide you through what the process should be. That is huge. That is huge that they did that. And I know this is gonna like this this podcast is gonna change somebody's life because I know a few people that's interested in government contracting. And, you know, when they're like, hey, do you know uh anything about it? I'm like, I have I know nothing about government contracting. So uh so I felt like it was a blessing to to really, you know, get to to meet you and, and talk about uh this this stuff. But um as we're Going into the the next step, so I know you're talking about finding your niche when it comes to doing uh, government contracting. How would you advise somebody to find their niche when it comes to this? Because uh, like what we we spoke about before, government contracting is is everything, right? Like they, they could need anything. It doesn't matter. It could be a contract for like toilet paper or something that I heard. I remember we were having that conversation when we were at the wedding and you're saying how the government, for the most part, they try not to just go to a store and pick up something. A lot of times when they need something done, it's something that's in large amounts. And there's a level of importance to be able to have government contracts because they whatever they need, they need it in large amounts, is sometimes big or smaller, whatever it is, but it's more efficient for them to just put up a contract, get bids, and be able to get it done that way. Uh, and so, by knowing uh, that, that structure, I guess, well, let me ask, um, why, in your opinion, why do you feel like this is probably the most efficient way for the government to get things done, or do you feel like it's the most efficient way for them to get
0: things done? This is what I was told. Mm-hmm. You and I, we can go to Walmart target, right? And we need things. Well, the federal government, they rely on small businesses to be their Walmart target to supply them with things. And just businesses overall. You know, they they have purchase card holders where they can go to get this. They have things called a GSA schedule. They can purchase things through Granger and all these other vendors that can just drop ship things. But for the most part, they try to reinvest in the small businesses. Gotcha. Uh, um, the niche aspect of it, man, uh, you might have a relationship with a manufacturer company that sells toilet supplies and you can resell it. That's, that might be a niche. My relationships might lead me down a road of heavy civil because that's what I'm connected to. So I had to find within myself, where are all of my resources, where are all of my connections, my network, and which one could provide the best return of, uh, on my investment that will maximize my 24 hours. So I found in construction, you know, it's, it's pretty lucrative. I, I enjoy it, it's fun. It's something different every day. The same thing in supplies. I'm also a chemical distributor, so it can be a, a, selling things is very lucrative as well. You know, it all depends on what your personality is, what your overall goal. What what gets your blood going? You no, know? gotcha. gotcha. uh, you might fall into some today and find out two or three years later that you're better at doing something else. And that's what working with the government you kind of run into those things, man. You you find yourself like, wow, I thought this was my niche, but I'm really good at this. You might not even know what your niche is to three years from now. You might just be just just waiting to get connected with that right person. Gotcha. So, gotcha.
1: yeah, it makes sense. It definitely makes sense. Uh So, it's, it's, uh-huh. to hit on
0: that, construction allows me to just say my next code. Are you familiar with next codes?
1: Uh, next code. Go ahead and talk to me about that. Yeah, I, like you, you're. I was loving when you were talking about this at the West. So go ahead and talk about the, uh, the next codes.
0: Nix codes, like I I, I chose Nix uh, uh, construction, general construction Nix codes because it allows you to gross $39.5 million a year and still be considered a small business, i.e. versus if you have an accounting Nix code, uh, it might allow you to gross $22 million and still be considered a small business. You want to kind of go for that small business Nix code that are what, uh, will allow you to gross the most because you might max out. You might find yourself good at what you do and max out at that 39 million. So if you have a, an accounting or a roofing, it's called roofing allows, allows you to grow 16 million and be considered small business. So if you gross 20 million in, roof it, in roof, roofing over a certain amount of time, you can easily graduate out of small business. Does it make sense? Mm, right.
1: So explain uh, Nix code. Is that N-I-X?
0: N-A-I-C-S. Okay.
1: N-A-I-C-S code. All right. So explain what a uh, what a nix code uh, is. Because I know there, there's caps on it, but I- I- explain that. Kind of like how, how you explained it to me before.
0: Um, for every item that the government buys, there's an N-S-N or a NICS atta- attached to it. So for general construction, right. it's 236220. For heavy civil, I just happen to have them open right now. But heavy civil, you're gonna find yourself in the two three, um, two three seven nine nine zero uh, electrical. It might be two three or five four something. Everything is gonna have a nix code, and besides those those Knicks codes, it's gonna tell you okay. In order to stay in the small business space, you can only make this much a year. Well. General construction like you can make a ton of money and still stay small business. So I can grow $35 million a year for the rest of my life and still be considered a small business. Uh, you want to stay in a small business because once you start going over that small business threshold, the government will place you in this uh, category of what's above uh, unrestricted. They will place you in an unrestricted category. Then you will start. Against the large companies, like uh give me a, a large company like that's Caterpillar? Caterpillar. You'll mm-hmm. start competing with somebody like them. Gotcha. Because they are in an unrestricted category.
1: Gotcha. And you
0: don't want to compete, you don't want to compete with guys like that because they have they have a ton of money. So you want to kind of stay in that small business threshold. Gotcha.
1: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And so uh and pretty much the way that you explained it to me, um, was nix codes they a relation to particular industries uh basically right. uh and so would you say it's a uh an entire industry or would it be like sub industries within that or or is that all the same
0: uh it would be let's see let's see i'm looking at <clears throat> each NICS code, like, okay, you got fire sprinkler systems, which is 21305, and then you got 213115 one, one, is fire pump assemblies, you know, so mm-hmm. each really, one of them will have their yeah. yeah, they have their own. Now, it's all broken down into visions, mm-hmm. the divisions, so you might have Division 1 that have what is Division 1? Division 1 have your general requirement NICS codes. Division 2 is your structure site utility selective removal salvage. you got your masonry division your concrete division your metal division and under all these divisions you have different NICS codes attached to each line item under those divisions gotcha
1: gotcha okay makes sense makes sense and so um okay so we'll you gave a lot of great information i definitely appreciate that um but i know there are some other parts that we had to get to in that and then at the end you'll be able to give some additional information. So um, as far as books, um, I know we spoke about some books before that you're interested in. Uh, What are three books that you would recommend uh, someone read if they want to either learn more about entrepreneurship, uh, mindset, government contract, whatever it is, what are three books that you would recommend?
0: The Magic of Thinking Big is one of them. Mm -hmm. Destiny. By T.D. Jakes. Mm-hmm. It's third one, man. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to get it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's third one. Which one do I want to go to for the third one? There's a few of them. The Magic of Thinking Big. Uh, Destiny by T.D. Jakes. And The Secret, man. I, I really enjoy The Secret. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy The Secret because you have to put your mind in the space to attract energy, positive energy to you. You know, if you you have to think positive, man, you just if you think positive, things are going to come to you in a different way, you know, versus negative. You're going to find yourself feeling bad. So I really like the secret. Gotcha. The um, secret. OK, awesome. Secret. I, I like the secret. Gotcha.
1: All right, so uh, and uh, this portion, this is when we do our lightning round. So it's gonna be three random questions, and we'll just kind of see uh, how you're able to respond to them. So some of them are a little goofy. Some of them may get a little serious, but overall, it's just you know something to just kind of see where your mind is at. All right. So the first okay. question is: Would you rather be able to see ten seconds into the future, or see 10 years in the past?
0: I like the past better. Okay. You know, that past, the past, you learn a lot from your past, you know, your your past kind of guides you on where you're going. You know, I, I believe that you can create your own future with a proper vision. So the 10 seconds into the future really doesn't to me mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm already seeing where I'm trying to go 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. So 10 seconds in the future wouldn't really add any value to what I'm actually trying to, do. you know, if anything, it'll make me more like. ah. More <laughs> more.
1: Go. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK, that's a good answer. All right. So next one. Uh, would you rather never sneeze again or never sleep again? So, the sleep portion, I want you to make sure you understand this part. You'll never sleep again because you'll never be tired. So, never sneeze or never sleep?
0: Never sneeze? Mm-hmm.
1: So, you never have the desire like that it never comes up. You never have to sneeze. Or... You never get tired and you never have to sleep. So if you do sleep, you're wide awake with your eyes closed, like you're not falling asleep. You're just you could go for the rest of your year. So from now to say if you live another 70 years, just straight no sleep, but your full energy alert the entire time. So no
0: sneezing and no sleeping. Oh, man, I think I would rather know sneezing.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. I think I'd rather
0: no sneezing. Man. Gotcha. Gotcha. I feel you. Uh, I enjoy sleep. Yeah. I might only get a small portion of it, but it's just it. I enjoy it. Gotcha. gotcha. I enjoy that piece that 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 rebooting action. There
1: you go. All right. Also, so last question uh, for the lightning round. All right, if you could have dinner with one person in history, uh, whether you a know, past president or, or well, I'll say past or present. Um, and you can have dinner with them at any location in any time period. Who would it be? Where would it be? And uh, uh, at what time uh, period would it be? So just to kind of give an example. You can have dinner with Abraham Lincoln uh, in, uh, geez, uh, ancient uh, Egypt um, but in present times, or, or something like something like that, you could you could have dinner with uh, Lincoln in Egypt ten years ago or whatever it is. But a person, a time frame, and a
0: location. Who would it be? I would say it's this guy, man. He was born in the seventeen hundreds, mm-hmm. and he was before his time. Uh, a lot of it's hard to pronounce his name. Alado Aquino. Mm. I mean, he was he was sold into the slave trade, and he bought his freedom. Now he he learned how to speak multiple different languages. This was in the 1700s. Uh, he even had married into an inter, inter, interracial relationship back in the 1700s. At 23 years old, I want to say he bought his own freedom. So in order to do all of that in that time and just to listen to the way he crafts his words on paper, I'm a a real student of the mind. If if I can sit back and have a conversation, I just like his mind is like a Frederick Douglass. Mm. I would enjoy having an intellectual conversation with him because I I really believe he was before his time. His, His intellect was awesome yeah you know, I can't even speak two languages, right, right. and I I, I haven't even scratched the surface of my life. And I'm 40 years old, and he accomplished accomplished a ton of things by the age of 23, uh, in the 1700s. Right, right. With all of that going on, so I I, I really would like to
1: just that's, that's very interesting. Okay, uh, and what time frame would you want it to be in?
0: It can be in this time. Honey. In this time, okay. Oh, so I mean, because I, I I enjoy Starbucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha. All right, so you interview him uh, in present day, and uh, where would it be? It could be anywhere in the world. So would it be at a Starbucks? Uh, you would have uh, some lunch. Where Where would it be in the world? Anywhere,
0: man. I'm I'm a simple guy, man. It could mm-hmm. be basic, right here in the office. It can be at a Starbucks, it can be at an IHOP. It can gotcha. be at an Applebee's. It really doesn't matter. Gotcha. Okay. But to have a conversation like that with a mind so powerful, you know, the way he crafted those words and the way he thought outside the box in the 1700s was just, I thought it was amazing. Gotcha. Okay,
1: cool. And so for the next uh, portion, this is what we call uh, the first steps portion. And so, or a first step segment. Now, Someone who wants to get into government contracting. uh, What would you say should be their first steps of action uh, to get in? So what are some like first like first several steps like, hey, I want to be a government contractor. I want to do this. What do I need to do today?
0: Go to SBA.gov. Learn to set aside rules, cannot play the game, do not know the rules. Figure out which set aside applies to you, and then take the proper steps. You need to get familiar with beta.sam. sam. Understand what a cage code is, what a dodge number is. They actually have a new number out. One uh, call, one that it, it says a UI number. Mm. Understand what those are. Make sure your LLC is set up properly. Um, make sure, <laughs> yeah, just just research, research, and then. Run across somebody that's in the game and ask them questions so you can start applying that knowledge. Gotcha. There's a lot of people out there that will share the information because everything that we're talking about now is free. Everything is free.
1: Absolutely. All right. And last but not least, some words of wisdom uh, that you want to leave the people with.
0: Envision where you want to go. Envision where you want to go. Wake up every day with that in mind and put in the work to get there. It's not going to be an easy process. It will be tedious, but you'll be looking back five years from now and saying, wow, I can't believe how far I came. I've only been in business five years. Gotcha. I've came pretty far from my from where I came from. Absolutely. So a vision where you want to go and from there,
1: just pretty much acting on, on that vision right from there i love it man but hey well, Derek, thank you so much man i, I know I, I held you a little longer than uh anticipated but i, I got excited you started talking government contracts i'm like that. i cannot wait for you know th- this conversation to happen but thank you so much and i, I appreciate you coming on man
0: hey thanks for having me like right. have a great day call okay. me if you need anything all right no doubt no doubt thank you for listening to the your first steps podcast Let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a review and don't forget to subscribe.